my life is like the amazing race playing against the campaign and but it's rigged like the campaign always wins you're, you're never going to beat Hillary Clinton flying on a private jet to wherever she's going welcome to on assignment I'm Abby Wright here with my colleague and partner in crime Lisa Cohen hello Lisa hi Abby we're back with our Women We Love series with a special stamina edition <laughs> and a special guest, Monica Alba of NBC News. Monica is part of Hillary Clinton's press corps and has been on the campaign trail with her since day one. She's also an alum of Columbia Journalism School. And let's say this right at the outset. Nothing makes me happier than when I see a former student fellow go out into the big J journalism world and succeed. We knew her way back when. Yeah, she was my student in video storytelling class. And she was one of the better ones. And the first piece that she ever handed in, I watched it and I said, this is someone who is going somewhere. And she has already. She came to the studio to talk to us about what life is like as what they call an embed in the campaign. And it was kind of a nightmare getting her schedule to come in since, you know, her life is to say her life is not her own is a gross understatement. But we finally rested her away for an hour, and we got a chance to hear about what it's like to you know, be on the tarmac day after day with the, with the campaign. And I think stamina is it's the word of the day. So uh, and I think when we talked to her, they were finally allowed to get on the plane with Hillary Clinton just days before. Yeah, we spoke to Monica in early September, of course, there have been a few developments in the campaign since then. Um, Secretary Clinton collapsed after the 9-11 memorial. And just a few days ago, we started debate season. The first debate between uh, Secretary Clinton and Donald Trump was the most watched political debate in history, with over 80 million people watching. Yeah, and it was online and on the networks. It's uh, a first. So let's get to it. Here is Monica Alba, our woman we love on the campaign trail. Thank you for having me. Guys. Thank you for coming. I loved my time at Columbia. I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting here feeling nostalgic in the building. My, I went to this exact job at NBC straight out of Columbia, and I've been there for the last four years from election that election to this election. And, and you were also one of our DuPont fellows, which makes it doubly nice. It was. To have you back with us, Monica. What is your official title, by the way? My title is probably like multitasker in chief, but I am technically um, a campaign embed producer for NBC News. So what that means is that everywhere that the candidate that I'm assigned to, which for the past year and change has been Hillary Clinton, I go. So whatever kind of event, fundraiser, wherever she is located physically, I'm there with 70 or 80 pounds of gear in tow, and for the longest What kind time, of gear? So all the embeds have to carry a camera, a tripod, and probably our most important piece of equipment is a live view, which is basically something that can transmit live footage or live signal wherever there is cell phone reception. So that's the best way that we kind of transmit everything back. And are you with a correspondent or are you on your own most of the time? It depends. We have several correspondents at NBC who are assigned to Hillary Clinton. And so at every event where she is speaking formally or there is basically a more typical event or rally, there will be a correspondent there and sometimes two because we'll have Andrea Mitchell filing for Nightly News and we'll have Kristen Welker who's doing MSNBC hits all day. But because of the nature of television, it's very hard to have correspondents 
kind of with the candidate all day. So the embed, and which is my role, their responsibility is really to be there at everything. How would you characterize the relationship between the Clinton campaign and the press in general and in your personal experience as an embed? How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, so this has actually changed dramatically in just the last few days. We have just been able to get on the same airplane as Hillary Clinton, which is something that the press was clamoring for for months because she was and the campaign were technically breaking with tradition and they weren't allowing us to travel with her, which in cycles past has been totally the norm. And it was very strange to be waiting this long. And of course, Donald Trump has not traveled with the press. He does not travel with the press on the same plane. So, you know, they could kind of lean on that argument a little bit. But I would say that, that you know, she is a more guarded candidate than a lot of a lot of others. And she's been in the public eye for so long that she's a bit more wary. Uh, but just on the plane this week, she said, oh, this feels like my days at the State Department. I just wander to the back of the plane, say hello, and she can kind of have a little bit of fun with us and then answer a question about, you know, Syria or President Obama's trip to China or whatever it is, emails, FBI report, anything. You know, she, she feels a little bit more comfortable now doing that with us. And so a lot of people who've covered her feel the, that they don't actually know her, but we are getting to a better place, which I'm very happy about. And you've been there for the big historic moments as well in this campaign, correct? When she actually went over the top in terms of delegates. Can you talk a little bit about that night or other sort of high points in the campaign and low points? Sure. The other sort of historic moments that, that do stick out, uh, I was there for all 10 hours of the Benghazi testimony, and I was there for all the debates, and I've been there at sort of those those bigger stage moments, but I think what actually really stands out is these tiny events, and an interaction that comes to mind is uh, she was kind of confronted by somebody who had worked for a coal company in West Virginia, and it was a very, very tense moment where he said, how could you do this? And how could you say, because she had made some controversial comments about putting coal miners out of business um, prior to that. And it was, there were maybe eight people at that round table that she was sitting at with about 20 or 30 very loud Trump protesters outside. And it was pouring rain. And it was it's like those smaller moments that actually, I think, to me, stick out a bit more. She sort of said, you know, I'm sorry. I misspoke. But here is why you need to support me. At the end of it, this man was not convinced. Uh, he had, she had not won him over. Uh, but it was a very, 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 I thought, revealing moment of sort of politics and how it works and to get to see the granular interactions between somebody like this and, and the candidate. Can you give us an everyday, like, what's a day in the life of Monica Alba like? So no two days are the same. Uh, but And it's really, really changed over the course. Because in the beginning, every we had to get everywhere by flying commercial. So it was, I like to say, my life is like the amazing race playing <laughs> against the campaign, and but it's rigged. Like the campaign always wins. You're, you're never going to beat Hillary Clinton flying on a private jet to wherever she's going when you're dealing with Delta delays or lost luggage and all of that. So in the beginning, it was more challenging. Now, the campaign arranges our travel. These days, we're in a bubble where Secret Service moves us and we're in press vans that are following her motorcade. So, I mean, Monday, the first day of the campaign plane this week, we had to basically be on the tarmac around 6 a.m. to get a sunrise shot of the plane, which we had never seen before. 
the plane didn't take off until about 10.30 a.m. <laughs> she boarded. She came back. She said hello. She said good morning. Welcome to the plane. We took off for Cleveland. We went to an event in Cleveland, got back on the plane. She came back, answered questions. We flew to Quad Cities. She did another event, got back on the plane, and didn't land back in New York until about I think it was about 10.30 or 11 p.m. So that's a very, very long day. Are you, I know that when they talk about the Trump press, they're penned, right? How does it work for you? It's so funny because on maybe one of the only days off I had around the Iowa caucuses, I decided I needed to go see a Trump event. It, it's hard to cover one candidate. And I think that's what a lot of people don't necessarily understand, that our job is to just cover her. That's my assignment. So... I think it's very important to go see the other candidates. And when Bernie Sanders was very, very much in the race, I tried to go to as many of his events so that you can really understand what's driving that movement. And so with the very few Trump events that I've been to, and I'm talking about now, you know, six, seven months ago, they the press does have to stay in an area and then they have a very regimented system for letting maybe one camera out to do any rope line shooting of him greeting people after the event. But it is a completely different animal. At Clinton events, we can roam freely. We could go into the crowd and talk to people, voters who are there. Um, but they're also different, very different candidates in terms of their media style, right? He'll call up a reporter. He'll call up someone. He'll phone in way more casually than she does. She she's not necessarily doing that. She has started to do a few more phoners, which does feel very Trump. She's far more traditional than he is in that sense. So having been around her as much as you have over all these months, what about her would surprise us as people outside the bubble who don't have that kind of access to her? I think that something that always strikes me, everybody talks about how amazing uh, former President Bill Clinton's memory is. That her memory is astounding because we walk around with her when she says, oh, weren't we here exactly two months ago on this day when this happened? And, you know, the other day she was just talking with, with a couple of reporters and she'll see somebody in the crowd and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that person came up and talked to me after this so-and-so event. So she has a remarkable memory and she is, um, you know, a total nerd. That is that is she is a, she she admits to it. Right. She is that she's a total policy wonk. Um, and she loves to talk about in detail those sort of things. And, and she is, I would say, in person, very warm and very personable, which doesn't necessarily always translate in bigger bigger rooms or in bigger events. But whenever she is talking to us in a more informal setting, she's very funny and she is very, uh, very engaging. Doesn't mean you're going to get anything newsworthy out of her, though, right? No, no, she's too smart for that. She knows, right? I mean, she's played the game. She knows, she knows what she's doing, and yeah, because it does raise the question of why, if if that's what everybody says, and you're not the first. Well, we've heard that a lot. That when you actually are in the room with her, she's a different person. Then why aren't they? Why can't they leverage that more? It's a great question. It's a great question, and I think they are, especially in this campaign operating from a slightly more cautious, calculated, right? They they know what they're doing. They know what they did wrong in 08. And she herself has said, you know, we have a plan and we are sticking to it. And she is the most sort of detailed person, plan-oriented person that I have ever encountered. So 
tell us a little bit about the skill set required for what you're doing, your reporting skills. Do you attribute some of that to what you learned in this wonderful building? What's the connection between sort of the journalism you learned here and and what your day-to-day reporting life is like? There is no magic one skill. It's a set of skills, and it's also the ability to really, I think, adapt and think on your feet and react to something. And that's most of my job. And so whether I'm you know, physically typing on a laptop while on my phone, while trying to, on my second phone, shoot something and upload it and transmit it, you know, the most important thing, which is this, this, this news judgment that was instilled and which is highly important at Columbia, is driving that. But you have to be able to do everything. It's not, it's not enough to just say like, oh, well, that seemed like that was an important moment. Okay, well, now what are you going to do about it? You know, a lot of people say that embeds are like the the eyes and ears, but it's also uh, we're kind of like the nose and the gut. So if something if something doesn't smell right, or if something is unusual, or you kind of note that that the aides have a bit of a different tone or mood to them, it's our job to say, hey, okay, what's going on here, and, and what can we dig into? Because we're the ones who are supposed to notice that. I mean, on that subject, the the subject of Hillary's emails just seems to be this story that will not go away. And how hard are you following that? And is there more that we're going to find out about it? It seems like just yes. when I thought it was resolved, it seems I don't, more and more. I'm not sure it will ever fully be resolved. I'm not sure that, that this will be something uh, that they'll ever really be able to escape because it goes to the central question that, that dogs her, which is, you know, why in some instances does it seem that she's not as forthcoming or transparent uh, as she claims to be? It's not even so much about what they're releasing, but about just the question that it continues to raise. It's like, what else is there? And why does this seem like it was done in such a way that, that is raising so many questions? So she, at this point, I would say, has given so many different answers. And she gets pretty defensive when you ask her about this. And just this week on the plane, there were questions about the recently released FBI notes from their interview with her. And she kind of says, look, it's resolved. The FBI put the report out. It's done. All the all the questions that are out there, they've been answered. Every time there's a new release or new things, she is going to be asked this. And, and her challenge will be to figure out how to answer it without seeming so defensive and sort of exasperated that this is still an ongoing news story. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. So we talk a lot about at the school, I certainly do, about failure and how good it is to learn from. And I'm wondering if you have a spectacular fail that you would share with us and what you learned from it. Oh, gosh. There, I mean, the problem is that like when you have a bad day, you just shrug it off. It's like because then there's another day and there's and you have no time. I have no time to dwell on what I could have, should have maybe done. But that's the challenge, too, of my job, because there's so many things that sort of become like six hour stories or 10 hour stories. Hmm. And in this day and age of when Donald Trump tweets something controversial constantly, that's the other thing. We're always chasing a reaction. Did you see this? Do you have a reaction to this? While you're trying to remain big picture and say, okay, w- you know, what is this saying about how things are shifting or where she's putting more focus in battleground states, you're dealing with, okay, do they have a reaction to this tweet that 
Trump just sent about the president of Mexico and what are they going to do and is she going to go to Mexico are we going to go to Mexico and what's you know it's like and and that's a challenging thing too there's no time to also sit around and reflect on what just happened and right. take it all in right because the thing and about failure is that you can learn from it exactly. and so if you don't have time to actually reflect no it's really hard it's really so hard so how do you keep the stamina Coffee, coffee, coffee? <sighs> yes. As I, as I clutch a, a coffee in my hand right now, definitely coffee. Honestly, the best thing has been to try to get as much exercise. Even when I'm so tired and I have slept so few hours and all I want to do is sleep that extra bit, what I've learned is that if I get up and go to the gym and do a little bit, I actually feel so much better throughout the day. Is NBC the pool this week? And tell us, how competitive is it among all the different journalists traveling with her? And then how do you balance that with also everyone shipping in for the pool? So the networks, the five networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and Fox, are actually very good teammates in terms of getting logistical things done. Because if we didn't rely on one another, things wouldn't happen. You're constantly working with the other networks. And so these other you know, embeds have become my best friends and you spend every day with them. And these are people that I'm going to be close with for life. In terms of the pool and the phase of the campaign that we're in, now any fundraiser or any sort of interview or meeting that they're allowing us to cover, we go with her. But when she's doing debate prep right now, we're not. She, she'll go do her closed debate prep sessions and we don't necessarily know where those are. Um, and they're trying to keep that a secret for as long as possible. So, but in but in a normal week, one network will be responsible for shooting anything that happens on the plane. So all of these media availabilities this week, my cam- I have a cameraman, and my cameraman is shooting all of that, and I'm literally sitting on the floor at her feet, holding up a microphone, and I have to like switch arms because like last is so long and it's so heavy. And that's the job, you know. I'm sitting, sitting there in front of her in the aisle of an airplane to get the audio for the questions, and that goes out to the whole pool. I would say overall the networks are competitive, but when it comes to sort of getting a lot of the access and footage that we get, we have to share that. That's the only way to do it. So you spend so much time with the Clinton camp. How do you keep your personal feelings out of your reporting? I think that from the beginning, I was very, very aware of how difficult some of these relationships were going to be because everyone says, like, these people are not your friends. You will be friendly with some of these campaign folks because you're spending an inordinate amount of time with them. But at the end of the day, it's very, very clear what my role is as a journalist and what this person on the other side's role is as a flack, right? And I think that just having that total awareness and knowing that they're, they have a very clear mission and they're very upfront about it and they will spin you until you can't stop spinning. You know, some of the best folks that we work with on the other side just have a very good understanding of what journalists need. They know that we're on deadline and we have to deliver something and they know that when they want to get something out, we're not just going to report it because they want to get it out. It's There's a total balance and there's a total negotiation to it. Looking beyond November, where do you see yourself going after this assignment? To sleep? Uh, no. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen on November 8th. But in the event that she does win, then there is basically a whole nother phase that I think a lot of people don't realize, which is the transition and that will be a ton of reporting will go into that. 
um, and there will be so much fascinating there will be so many interesting storylines to the first potential female president and some of the things that that she might do that would be so different than than what we've had so I think there will be a lot of appetite for that and um, I would be very lucky to continue to be able to cover that or be a part of that in some way so we'll see but it's still it seems so far away and I mean I think the one thing everybody keeps asking me like what's gonna happen it's like oh what is gonna happen (laughs) I mean the one the only thing I have been able to predict about this election is that it is completely unpredictable well I'm glad to know that you're there Monica keeping an eye on it for us thank you guys thank you and I I'm lucky that Hillary Clinton is based in New York because then I could come up here today it actually worked out Thanks to Monica for coming back home to Columbia. So now let's switch gears and we'll have some recommendations. I'm personally obsessed with the 538 online poll to the extent that I'm trying to wean myself off of it. It's a bit of an addiction. When what's so great about it? Well, it's real-time polling data. So you get like the straight who's ahead by how much in real time, um, which is a kind of a problem because then you just keep checking all the time to see, you know, what's the, what's the latest five sec- as of five seconds ago. But it also gives you state-by-state state breakdowns. It gives you, you know, how they come up with their data. It gives you context. It's, it's really, it's quite the rabbit hole. So this is uh, Nate Silver's 538. Right. Easy to Google it. It comes up in a second. Keeping an eye on this. Collection. And you? I'm just sitting here shimmying right now. That's <laughs> what I recommend. You do a good shimmy. I found the GIF or the GIF, and I've been shimmying ever since. And, of course, I think we would both recommend that everybody tune into the next debate because it's interesting watching and it's important. That's it for this episode. This episode of On Assignment was produced by Chava Gurari. Thanks, as always, to our funders at the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and, of course, to Columbia. Our music is by Dylan Nowak and our sound engineer, Shep Birkin. Special thanks to our DuPont fellows, a.k.a. our resident millennials, Meg Dalton, Val Caval, and Kim Flores, for taking care of our social media and so much more. So much more. And, of course, thank you, dear listeners, for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at OnAssignmentPod. Visit us at onassignmentpodcast.org or email us at onassignmentpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think or how much you love us. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, everybody. 